You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, The Gift That Keeps On Giving, Part 2. Enjoy. Well, last Sunday in the Christmas season, we started our series, The Gift That Keeps On Giving. And it's a three-part series. And we're going to talk about three dimensions of that gift. The first we talked about last Sunday was the preparation for that gift. And today we're going to talk about the revealing of the gift, the Sunday before Christmas. And then next Sunday, we're going to talk about opening the gift. And who is the gift that keeps on giving? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. So we're going to look, I'm looking forward to next Sunday. We're going to talk about opening the gift. In other words, living the abundant life, walking with Christ, living the life he came to give us. So last, let's take a few moments and let's, let's go back to last week just to catch us up. Last week was the preparation for the gift. Have you ever wanted to give some, something to someone so much that you gave away what you weren't going to give to them before you gave it to them? I, I'm kind of notorious for that in my family, that I want to give someone something so much that I, I start giving little hints and they figure it out. So my wife and children know, don't tell dad. Any secrets at all, because it's, it's not a secret anymore when you tell me. But, you know, God is like that in some ways. He, he, from, from the moment Adam fell, the father wanted to bring his son into the earth. And it's like he was bursting at the seams. And when you look through the Old Testament, there are types and shadows and prophecies over and over and over again about God the Father bringing his son into the earth. And last Sunday, we looked at the clearest picture of what God the Father would do through God the Son, and that was at Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22. And we want to remind you that long before you were born, God prepared this gift of Jesus for you. And we know that God is the beginning, and he's the end. And he knows the end from the beginning. And that he has gone before you into 2015, and he has made abundant provision for you. He's prepared a place for you. And what do I mean by that? It's a place of victory. In other words, God has prepared a quality of life for you. Jesus said it. I can't say it any better than this. I came that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. And that's what faith is. Faith is a relationship with God that's based on the gift of Jesus. In other words, we come to God, we know God based on who Jesus is and based on what he's done for us and who we are in him. And we saw that God gave Abraham a supernatural promise. He spoke to Abraham somewhere between 75 and 86, so maybe his late 70s, early 80s, he spoke to him and he gave him a supernatural promise. It was not possible in any other way. God doesn't know what the word impossible means. It's not in his dictionary, right? So he gave Abraham a supernatural promise, and I want you to know Abraham's the father of our faith, and God has supernatural promises for you. God wants to do things in your life in 2015 that are not naturally possible. Isn't that wonderful? 
See, God's provision for your life is supernatural. It's beyond what you can do. And God's supernatural provision for your life is greater than what you've been through. I don't know how God does it, but he takes broken hearts and he makes them whole. He takes broken marriages, broken families, and he puts them back together again. And when he's all done, they're more beautiful than they ever were before. So this preparation that God underwent to get his son into the earth, it was done by faith. Well, let's move into the revealing of the gift now, part two. The preparation of the gift was by faith, and the revealing of the gift was by faith. So God gave Abraham a supernatural promise, and it's Genesis, uh, what is it? 15, um, I don't remember the exact verse, verse 6, where it says, uh, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. God gave Abraham his righteousness. Well, the revealing of the gift, God gave a supernatural promise to a young lady named Mary. And she received it by faith. Let's take a look at this. It's very powerful. Very powerful. Go to Luke chapter 1. Let's go there. And as you're going there, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for your supernatural plan for our lives. That you are greater than anything in this world, and you have purposed in your heart to do for us what only you can do. We thank you for the impossible fulfilled in our lives. We thank you for greater things than these. As you said, Jesus, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing and do even greater things than these. We thank you for those greater things manifest in our lives in 2015. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, at Highway Church, we encourage you not to come to listen to a man, but to listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay, We're, we, we've got our ears open. We say, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Unveil Christ to us more and more each day. So here we are in Luke chapter 1. Very powerful. There's a young lady by the name of Mary in verse 26. Follow along with me. It's on the screen as well if you'd like to read along on the screen. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph. I like that name. Of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And we want to remind ourselves this was not a, a hallmark greeting card. It wasn't just a nice thing to say. God was bringing his word to Mary. When God says, blessed are you, he is empowering you. He's bringing his life into your life, his power and strength into your life to change your life. He's speaking the word of God to her, and it's going to work in Mary's body. Stay with me. All right, blessed art thou among women. All right, and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. 
And the angel said unto her, Fear not. Put your name in there. Right? As you look ahead at 2015, fear not. For thou hast found favor with God. Do you know you have found favor with God? When you put your faith in Christ, God gave you his favor. Verse 31, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Let's pause here for a moment. You shall call his name Jesus. Now understand in Mary's culture, names were of great significance. A name wasn't just something they put on their driver's license. All right? A name was something that communicated destiny. A name was something that the parents would choose to speak of that child's future. A name that was, was something that communicated the character of that individual, how they would behave, what their, what their motives were. In fact, Mary, as, as, as the other Hebrew children, was very well schooled in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, or the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, as well as the prophets. And she knew that God revealed himself by the covenant name of Jehovah, we say in English. And they call it the, the tetra, tetragram, where it was four Hebrew letters. And we say Y-W-H-W. It was this proper name for the God of Israel. And they were the only nation that had this covenant with Jehovah. And it's a word that came from the Hebrew, a name that came from the Hebrew word hava, which means to be, the self-existent one. It actually more specifically means the one who is to become known or the one who desires to unceasingly reveal himself. That's what you talked about. The nesting dolls. In fact, you'll find the name Jehovah over 7,000 times in the Old Testament. So when God revealed himself as Jehovah, he said, I'm the one who is and was and ever shall be. I'm the one who wants to continually reveal myself to you. And what he would do is he would attach another name after that that would highlight a certain dimension of his character. And you know where we find the first time that Jehovah is used in the Bible? With Abraham. We looked at it last week. And I, at Genesis, excuse me, Genesis chapter 22, where God is revealed as Jehovah Jireh. The very picture we looked at it, God the Father and God the Son, Abraham giving Isaac as God gave Jesus, right? So God was revealed to Abraham as I am the self-existent one who wants to be known by you as your personal provider. And then in Exodus chapter 15, God is revealed as Jehovah Rophe. I am the one, the self-existent one, who wants to be known by you 
as your personal healer, your personal physician, the one who makes you whole. And then in Exodus 17, God is revealed as Jehovah Nissi. I am the one who wants to be known by you as your banner of victory. The one who causes you to shine. Who causes all things to work together for your good. And then in Leviticus 20, verse 8, he, he reveals himself as Jehovah Am Kadesh. I am the one who wants to be known by you as your personal sanctifier. The one who sets you apart from the mucky muck of the world for my divine purpose for your life. Jehovah Am Kadesh. And then in Judges chapter 6, verse 24, God is revealed as Jehovah Shalom. And we translate as the Lord, my peace. But the word, I think peace sometimes gets watered down in our modern day understanding. The shalom is a very powerful word. Is I am the Lord, your wholeness. I want to be known personally by you as the one who makes you whole. As the one who causes you to prosper. Shalom. And then in Exodus chapter 48, excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35, God is revealed as Jehovah Shammah. I am the self-existent one who is ever present with you. I never go to sleep. I don't miss a trick. I'm watching over your coming and going both now and forevermore. And then in Psalm 23, verse 1, God is revealed as Jehovah Rohi. I am the one, the self-existent one who needs no batteries, no fuel supply, who wants to be known by you as your personal shepherd so that you will experience no lack. I want you to let me lead you in 2015. I want you to let me guide you I want you to let me feed you. And in Jeremiah 23, 6, he reveals, he's revealed as Jehovah's Sidkenu. I am the self-existent one who's limitless in power, and I want to be known by you as the one who makes you righteous. In fact, in Isaiah 54, it says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. He says, Your righteousness, their righteousness, is from me. So he's speaking to a young lady who's very familiar with the covenant names of God. And he says to her, The son that's going to be born in your womb has a destiny. And he has a character. This is how he's going to behave. This is what he's going to do. This is what his destiny is. Jesus. So we say in English, Yeshua. Which literally means, and it also we say Joshua. It's the same name as Joshua. Literally means God is salvation. I want you to know that this baby boy who's about to be born is representing the salvation of God. It means God saves now. I have to de-religify de that for you. Can I give you a de-religious definition of Jesus' name? God is the answer to your problems today. 
That's what Jesus means. And I have to say that because being saved over the years has taken on a religious connotation, meaning that someday I'm going to heaven. Well, going to heaven is, is, is a, a benefit of salvation, but it's a present tense reality. In our daily lives now, in December 21st, 2014, it means that Jesus is the answer to your problems today. God is a self-existent one who revealed himself through Jesus and wants us to personally know that in every challenge that we face, every issue, every victory, every situation, that he's the answer. And to go to him directly, to learn to trust in him in every area of our lives. So he said, you shall call his name Jesus. Now, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 1, there's a young man who is engaged to Mary, Joseph. And this is after Mary became pregnant and he learned of it. Now, you have to understand in Joseph's culture, there is a Jewish law that if a, a virgin, a spouse to be married to a, to a man, was found to be with child before the marriage was consummated, that he could bring charges against her, and she could be stoned to death. That was the law of his day. Well, it tells us in Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph was an honorable man and that he did not want that to happen to Mary, that he had purpose to privately divorce her so that she would not suffer the, the public humiliation or, or the consequences of the law that was broken. So as he's contemplating, this must have been heartbreaking to him, right? He was about to be married to her, and as far as, I mean, what are you going to think? If, if a young lady is married, he's not going to, well, the Holy Spirit did that, <laughs> right? He's saying, she was unfaithful to me. She pledged herself to me, and she was with another man and became pregnant. She broke her vow to me. And it's as he's contemplating, as he's heartbroken, that God sends an angel to speak to him. And this angel tells them that the baby conceived in Mary's womb is from the Holy Spirit. And he tells Joseph what he is to name that child. And in Matthew chapter 121, he says, you shall call him Jesus. And look what he says here. Why call him Jesus? For he shall save his people from their sins. Again, I want to peel back the religious layers here. That word save is a present tense reality. It's the Greek word sozo. Here's the definition of it. To make safe and sound. Sound means whole. To deliver, to protect, to heal, and to make whole. You shall call him Jesus. God is salvation. God saves now. For he shall make whole his people, he shall deliver his people from their sins. In fact, the Amplified Translation, Eden, if we can pull that up there, of verse 21, shed some light on this. It means, that is, prevent them from failing and missing the true end and scope of life, which is gone. Is there anyone you'd like to see in 2015 come to know what life is really all about? What is the true scope of life? That word scope is a powerful word. It, it comes from the Greek word, which means target. 
the aim. What is a scope? A scope is something we use to focus on a target or something we use to examine something, a scope, a target. Jesus came to prevent us from failing and missing out on the true aim of life, the true meaning of life. And what is that? Having a personal, intimate relationship with God as our very own Father. So right now, let's pray for someone that you may know who needs to know God as their father in 2015. All right, do you have someone in mind? Let's do that right now. Father, we lift these people up to you. There are people that we know that we want to see come to know the true meaning of life to know you. And Father, we pray for them right now. We ask your Lord to speak to their hearts, to open the eyes of their heart, that they would realize how much you love them and how much they need you. That they would come to you and hunger for you and thirst for you and be satisfied by your amazing love. In Jesus' name, amen. So knowing God is the aim of life, let's continue in Luke chapter 1. We stopped in verse 31. You shall call his name Jesus. Let's go to verse 32. He shall be great. You can say that again. And shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. What's he doing? He's speaking of the fulfillment of prophecy. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, have you ever imagined yourself there with Mary? Wow, that must have been something, huh? So she's taking this all in, and she says, how? How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? See, Mary didn't put this off into the future. She she didn't say, well, yeah, after we're married, sure, we're going to have some children. She knew the word of God was now in her life. And God wants you to know that. His promises are now in your life. Don't put them off. Receive them now. He's the God who saves now. She says, how will this be? Since I know not a man, I'm a virgin. And the angel answers and says unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. So we see here, in order to be God's child, you need to be born of the power of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 1, can you pull that up, Eden? John chapter 1 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Ghost overshadowed you and made your spirit brand new. And you were born of God. In 2015, I want to encourage you to think of yourself as God's very own son or God's very own daughter. All right? Hallelujah. Keep reading verse 36 now of Luke chapter 1. Now, he's just told her something that's never been done before and will never be done again, all right? She is the virgin that was chosen by God to bear his son. 
So you got to know she's got to be, I don't know, maybe wondering, can this be real? You know, she was human, just like us. So he starts encouraging her. Look what he says in verse 36. And behold, your cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month who was called barren. Verse 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Remember that word's not in his dictionary, right? With God, nothing is impossible. I want you to think of 2015 right now and say this with me. For with God, nothing is impossible. Again, for with God, nothing is impossible. One more time. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Yeah, in fact, with God, all things are possible, right? <coughs> Glory to God. He delights in doing the impossible. Hallelujah. Now, I love Mary's response. This is how we are to respond to the promises of God in our lives. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. God just revealed to Mary the gift that keeps on giving, Jesus. And how did she respond? It's just like Abraham did. She believed the Lord, and he credited it to her as righteousness. Now, you got to know, this was uh, not an easy decision for Mary, naturally speaking, because she had to be thinking, what am I going to tell my parents what am I going to tell Joseph? I'm having a baby. <laughs> and I'm going to tell him God did this? <laughs> right? So she said, be it done to me according to your word. In other words, I'm taking you at your word regardless of what man might say or think yes. or do. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. In 2015, don't let what people say or think or do keep you from believing the Lord. She was risking her life believing God, wasn't she? Sure. It didn't matter, though. She said, God, you, you, I'm your handmaid. Be it done to me according to your word. Hallelujah. See, faith goes all the way. Faith in the promises of God will take you away from man's religious reasonings and bring you to the place where God walks. Faith will take you into the realm of God himself, into the realm of what man calls impossible. And that's what God has for us in 2015. It's time to walk on water, right? Amen. Hallelujah. Now, God continues to reveal himself, and now he reveals himself in Luke chapter 2 to shepherds in the field. In verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now imagine Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, our shepherd, watching these shepherds on Christmas Eve, thinking, oh, I can't wait 
to tell them what I'm going to give them for Christmas, right? (laughs) And he sends some angels into the sky in verse 9. The angel of the Lord comes upon them, and the glory, the supernatural life and power of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. That's a common uh, culture of heaven, no fear, Right, right. right? God will take you there if you'll believe his promises. Life without fear. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. That's the heart of God. Good tidings of great joy for everybody. For God so loved the world, right? Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. And I can imagine at this point in time, the angels were just ready to burst. God just came to earth as a baby. (laughs) How? He's flesh and blood today. Right? They're just bursting. This is going to be a sign to you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And all of a sudden, pow, a concert happens in heaven. Right? A host of angels appears and begins worshiping God with a symphony. And I love what they sing. Glory to God in the highest. And here's the kicker. And on earth. Peace. Why did there need to be peace on earth? Because it wasn't on earth. The kingdom of God wasn't in the earth. Jesus ushered the kingdom of God into the earth. On earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. Let's park here for a moment. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus was instructing his disciples, giving them a frame of mind, a way to live. And he said to them, live, pray, speak in this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We've got to park here because there is some erroneous theology that has been spread whether it was uh, understood or not, and I, I believe you know there, people have good intentions and they're trying to do the right thing, but nevertheless, man sometimes teaches things that Jesus didn't teach. And one of the, the things that has really held people back from experiencing the life that God has for them is a teaching that everything that happens in the earth is God's will. It's one of the, the, the most uh, damnable theologies out there. Because it turns your faith off in many ways. The Bible does not teach that. If God's will was automatically done, Jesus would never have instructed us to pray for it to be done in the earth. Why would he instruct us to do that? If his will was automatically done, we see in the ministry of Jesus that he was ministering healing to people. He was rebuking things. He was rebuking storms. He didn't just let stuff happen to him. The only time he let stuff happen is when they came to arrest him and he laid down his life. 
Other than that, no one could touch him. It's very important to understand that. God's will is is not automatic in our lives. Never has been, never will be. God set us up as free moral agents. We have to choose him. And he had to do that because you can't have love without freedom, right? Who wants to be married to a robot? How fun would that be, right? Get up, push the button, make me breakfast. Yes, sir. No, right? There's no love without real freedom. So it's very important to understand that we have the responsibility of enforcing the will of God in our lives, that God wants his peace in your life just as it is in heaven. But we've got to speak it. Speak peace over your marriage, over your family, over your children. Speak the peace of God. See, in Matthew chapter 7, God is so good. That's why the angels were so exciting, the good, so excited. The goodness of God had come to earth, was manifest in flesh, in the earth. Now God had revealed himself, and Jesus was going to set the record straight. Now we can look right at Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts and know exactly what God's will is for our lives. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking, verse 7, he says, Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Why would we have to do any of these things if God's will automatically happened? Right? We could just, just do whatever, and whatever happens, happens. It's God's will, and we just go on. That's not those scriptures at all. We've got to seek, we've got to ask, we've got to believe. For everyone that asks receives. He that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Now, I like this, verse 9. Is it up there? Okay. What man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? That's unthinkable. I love how Jesus talks. There isn't one of us who would do such a thing, right? And we're, we're human, we're fallen individuals. We've made mistakes, right? Jesus is the bread of life. What man is there among you if he asks his son for bread? See, here's what religion has done. Many have come to church looking for bread, and they've gotten a stone. The Ten Commandments were written on stone. Paul called it the ministry of death. The Ten Commandments can't save anybody. And what ends up happening is so many people needing bread have come to churches, and they've gotten stoned. They've told they've got to do this, they've got to do that. They've got a long list of things they've got to fulfill before God will accept them. And that's not the gospel at all. See, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ. What people need is the bread of life, not the Ten Commandments. That might sound shocking. But when you realize how much God loves you, you will begin to walk with him, not because you have to, because you want to. And they went on to say, if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? Fish is meat, it's protein. And many have come into the church because they needed the meat of God's word. And instead a serpent came. 
What did the serpent do in the garden? He called into question the promises of God. And I can't tell you how many times in 25 years walking with the Lord, how many times I've heard ministers call into question the promises of God. Well, yes, God can heal, but you can't be sure that he's going to heal you. Just what Satan did in the garden. How can you have faith if, if you don't know? How can you have faith to be healed if you don't know it's his will to be healed? You can't. Faith is being sure and certain. If then being evil, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? And finally in Luke chapter 2, we'll close with this verse. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away. Can you imagine what the atmosphere must have been like in that pasture where the shepherds were? <laughs> Whoo! The angels just hosts, which is myriads, filled the sky, worshiping God, letting him know that, 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 that God's peace is now on earth. From them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us now go unto Bethlehem. Does anyone know what Bethlehem means? House of bread, where bread is made. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem, the house of bread. Bethlehem. So Jesus was born in the house of bread. The bread of life just came out of the oven. And see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. So the gift of God was revealed, and his name is Jesus. And you need to know today that when God revealed Jesus, he clearly revealed who he is and what he wants to do in your life. And his provision for your life is experienced through simple faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for this word this morning. We acknowledge your word that it's not a man or a woman. It's your, um, your, your word that changes our lives. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening our eyes wider, for letting the light of Christ shine brighter in our hearts that we would know the confidence of your calling upon our lives, that we would know the surpassing um, greatness of the resurrection power of Christ that's in us, that we would know the riches of our inheritance in you more than ever before. We love you, Father because you first loved us. And we thank you for your presence manifest in us, in our families, during all of the holiday gatherings and the time that we spend with different people. We thank you for saving and healing and delivering this holiday season. In Jesus' name, amen. Nothing is impossible with God. With him, all things are possible. It's his desire to do the impossible in your life. And when you receive his word, you put yourself in position for the impossible to become yours. In Jesus' name, amen.